All right, well, let's pray before we get into the text this morning. Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. Lord Jesus, this morning we are here for you. We desire to hear your voice. Would you speak to us through your word? Would your spirit confirm it in our hearts? Lord, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us insight? Would you illuminate the words on the page as we read them this morning? Holy Spirit, would you sink down deep into our hearts to convict us and to transform us, not for our glory, not for our kingdom's sake, but for Jesus' kingdom. Amen. All right. Now, I mentioned a fortnight ago that this morning we would be doing a topic, the final topic, for our Eat the Elephant series. That is not going to happen this morning for various reasons. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. Mark chapter 10. Um, this is a story you'll also find in Luke's Gospel. And ordinarily, when we look in the Gospel of Mark, uh, what we know is that when Luke wrote his Gospel, it is incredibly likely he had a copy of the Gospel of Mark, because most of Mark's Gospel we find in Luke. And what's interesting is this story also comes up in Luke chapter 18, but Mark's version of this, Mark's account of this, actually is slightly more detailed, which is why we're going to have a look at Mark's this morning. So skip with me down to verse 17. And this is what it says. We'll talk as we go through and we'll find some interesting things in here. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he's certainly come to the right place. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now it's interesting because Jesus mentioning these commandments, they're actually out of order, they're in a different order. Verse 28, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There is a huge amount of stuff that we could look at in here this morning. But I would like to bring out several very simple and straightforward points. 
Why on earth has this person come to talk to Jesus? Why have they turned up to talk to Jesus? Their question is simple. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we know this is someone who has already kept all the commandments since they were a child. This is not an old man. This is a young man. But this is someone who has grown up in the culture of of Judaism. This is someone who has grown up educated. This is someone who, even at a young age, is able to be recognized as being wealthy. This is someone who also has power and influence. This person has a whole bunch of stuff, and yet this question remains, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That tells us this person had no inner assurance. If they already had inner assurance, they wouldn't have asked the question. They wouldn't have run up and put themselves at the feet of someone. We, we have no indication in the text that Jesus and this person had ever met before. Never met Jesus. Runs up to someone they don't know and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' immediate response is very revealing. He says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. If someone runs up to you and flatters you straight away, Sometimes that suggests something. And so Jesus says to this person, Jesus doesn't say, I'm not God. Don't call me good. Jesus says, wait a sec, why do you call me good? Are you calling me good because you understand who I am? Are you calling me good because you understand that I am the son of the father? That I only do what I see the father doing? Are you here because you actually understand? Or are you calling me good for a different reason? Only God is good. So this is not a statement Jesus makes to shut this person down. This is a statement he makes in order to open things up, to bring it out into the open. And then Jesus goes straight into the law. He says, okay, here here are some commandments. You've heard the law. Someone turns up and they want assurance. They want to know how to get into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, wait a sec, you've heard the law. Let's test the water here. And the person says, yes, yes, I have the law and the law is not enough. I have kept all these commandments since I was a child. And then I love what scripture says here. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That this person, for everything they had, for everything they'd learned, for everything they had been born into, for everything they had built, This dissatisfaction, this understanding that something was yet lacking, Jesus looked at this person and loved them. He had compassion on them. And then this scary, intimidating instruction. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This person turns up. And are they asking the right question? Are they asking the right question? Yes, they're asking the right question. This is a great question. Are they asking the right person? They are talking to the way himself. But Jesus' response here is that he says, okay, I can see who you are. I can see where you've come from. I can see that you have the law. I can see that you are dissatisfied. And he sees this person who has all of this stuff and yet this hunger. And Jesus' response is, if you want me, you have to let go of that. 
Go sell everything you have, give it away to the poor, and then come follow me. This person's particular situation was that what they were holding on to, what they had based their reassurance in, they knew it was inadequate. But actually coming to Jesus and saying, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, you actually need to let go of this. You need to let go of where your reassurance has been based in order for you to plug in where I want you. Jesus says to this person, come follow me. Who else in scripture does Jesus say, come follow me to? His disciples. This story is not a parable. This person is real. This person had a life. This person breathed and slept and ate and drank. And their story could have been such a different story. What we are seeing here is this focal little point in in one person's journey towards Jesus and how it actually doesn't go the way that Jesus wants it to go because the person is given a choice. Imagine for a moment that you have a flat tire on your car and that you know something's not right. Now, some of you are going, yeah, it's pretty easy to tell when a tire is flat and it's not right. And for other people, I don't know if you've ever driven behind a car which has a clear, clear flat tire And obviously the person driving the car has no clue that it has a flat tire because they start start having this glorious aroma coming from the tire. And I've actually seen one catch on fire before that was on a trailer being towed behind someone's car. But imagine that you have a flat tire and what you do is you go, oh, there's a tire shop down there. And you drive past the tire shop and you go, they can fix my flat tire. Amen. Hallelujah. And then you drive past the tire shop again and you go, you know what? I know that they've got the stuff in there to fix my flat tire. I know what they're going to do as well. They're going to ask me to take the wheel off my car. Amen. Hallelujah. Drive past the tire shop. We think about that and we go, it's it's stupid. You pull in, take the tire off, get them to put a new tire on. Even if we have the right information, Even if we come to the right person with the right question, there still needs to be something that happens on our part. We still have to be prepared at some point to step back and go, all right, I am putting you in control, Lord. I'm stepping back and I'm handing control of this situation. I'm handing control of even of my journey of faith. I'm giving it back to you. See, what Jesus was really talking to this guy about was control. And that is the one thing that each of us have in common with our walk with Jesus. At different points, Jesus comes to us, and some of them are huge moments like this. Some of them seem to be not so huge. And what he says is, will you give me control? How much do you actually want to hold on to these other things that are going on in your life, the things that that we put assurance in? And how much are you prepared to let go of to actually hold on to Jesus? This is our one simple question this morning. What are you holding on to? Because you and I are human beings and we're breathing in and out. That means we're holding on to something. What are you holding on to? See, if you close your eyes and you wait on the Lord and you say, Lord, what do you want me to let go of? I guarantee you it will come thick and fast and it will be uncomfortable. And we call that the conviction of the spirit. In order for you to plug into Jesus, what is it that he wants you to deal with? What is it that he wants you to address? What is it that he wants you to go, look, give that to me. Go and dedicate that to me. Give it back to me. It's not yours anymore. I want you to go and part with that in order for you and I to to actually move on in our relationship together. Make sense? 
Now here's where it gets a little bit more fascinating. Verse 24. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, several hundred years into the journey of the church and the journey of faith. So round about, I think it was even the 1200s, there was a story that emerged in Christian teaching that in Jerusalem, there was a gate and the gate was called the needle's eye gate. And what would happen is that if you walked up to this gate with your camel all loaded up, the camel, you actually had to move all the stuff around on it and the camel had to get down on its knees and shuffle through in order to get through the gate with all the stuff on it. The story is false. Never happened. There is no record of that ever having existed. It was a story that someone came up with at some point. The point Jesus is trying to make here is that a camel and an ivory needle is an impossible situation. It is practically impossible. Go home and try it. <laughs> Jesus is saying that if you are holding on to this stuff, and specifically what Jesus is mentioning here is wealth, and for us, for anyone, wealth is tied up in control. Wealth is tied up in, in influence and in power and in us being able to elicit the changes in the world that we want. And Jesus is asking this man to give that back. It is impossible to hold on to control and to walk freely with Jesus into the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus is saying. It is impossible. Now, when the disciples say, then, then no one can be saved, what's Jesus' response? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, if we misread that, we can end up thinking, oh, cool, so a person gets to hold on to all of their control and go into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it possible for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. But Jesus is not saying that the person gets to hold on to their wealth. Jesus is not saying that we get to hold on to control and to freely enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that what God will do when he makes the impossible possible is that what we can't let go of, he will get us to let go of. Now, that's actually a very scary thought. Because I don't know about you, I've had situations in my life where I have been in control and the Lord has taken control off me. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a hospital bed staring at the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever found yourself standing on the side of the road where your car has died and you have no options. And you stand there and you go, all right, Lord, you have my attention. We have these little situations that come up where control is taken off us. Influence is taken off us. It's like God goes throughout our entire life and he pushes the pause button on everything until we eventually stop and we go, okay, what I have not been prepared to give you willingly, Lord, as an act of your grace, as an act of your mercy upon me, you are interrupting and you are taking control off me. Because if we actually want Jesus, if we actually want to be absorbed by his love, by his gospel, by his compassion, then control is the one thing we want to give back to him. And it's an act of his mercy sometimes when he interrupts our life and he takes control off us. It is because he loves us. He had compassion on this man. Scripture says he looked at him and he loved him and he saw what was holding him back. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much 
in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. See, what's interesting is Jesus Jesus says this to the disciples after the other bloke has left. So was it true for the bloke who left? Yes, it was true for the bloke who left. And we can look at this and go, Jesus, if you had said that to him when he first turned up, you would have got a better response. If you had have told him, I'll give all these things up and I'll give you other things. I know sometimes we want to steer so clear of the prosperity doctrines which which are in error so often that get taught, particularly in Western cultures, that we end up thinking, oh, if you come to Jesus, he will just treat you like rubbish. And that's entirely appropriate. Scripture doesn't leave us with that position either. Jesus says that there is something that's going to happen, good things and persecutions. But Jesus doesn't give this guy a sales pitch. He doesn't say, he doesn't give him the, the great promise first. He doesn't give him all of the good news first. First of all, he says, here's what you need to part with. And sometimes we can be standing there going, Lord, here's everything I'm holding on to. You want me to come over there? What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And if Jesus gives us the promise, sometimes we go, all right, I'm going to get a better deal. All right, I'll part with this and I'll come over here to you. What kind of response is that? It's not surprising that Jesus says to this person first, you need to trust me. You need to part with these things that you love, that you have trusted in. The the things that we wrap ourselves up in, the things that we absorb our life in, to part with them regardless of whether there is a promise waiting for us or not. Jesus doesn't want you to love the stuff that he might give to you. Jesus doesn't want you to love the good things that he might minister to you. Jesus wants you to love Jesus. Everything else is secondary. What are you holding on to? Are we only prepared to move forward in our walk with Jesus if he offers us a better deal? This last phrase is a very strange phrase. Verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. See, often we pull this verse out of context and we apply it to so many other things. But here it's in the context of this, Jesus saying, people who give something up, people who sacrifice, people where it sinks in and they go, okay, I I do want Jesus, I will trust Jesus. Jesus says, look, there there are things that are going to happen, both, both positive things and persecutions. It's going to happen. But in that context, Jesus then says, there are those who are going to be last and those who are going to be first. What's he talking about? Those who are the first to give something up? Those who are the first to actually have this sink in and go, Lord, I want you. Those who are the first to to receive something from him? Those who are the last to receive something from him? See, it's interesting. Each of us wants to be first, deep down inside, because we're human beings. Each of us wants to turn up somewhere and have someone say, you get the chair of honor. See, giving everything up, giving control up, giving our influence up, giving our popularity up, giving our autonomy up, our ability to actually cause things to change, giving all of those things up and making ourselves last so that we can walk with Jesus 
What are we trading? We are putting ourselves last. And if we lay hold of Jesus, then you have become in the prime position. Then there is nothing holding you back. Then there is nothing else that you need. Jesus looks at this person. He says, one thing you lack. You have all of this stuff, but you lack one thing. And then Jesus says, everything that you have, everything that you have, if you part with that and lay hold of this one thing, you will go from having no assurance to having assurance. You will go from not knowing whether or not you can even enter the kingdom of heaven to being attached to the way and the truth and the life himself. When we make ourselves last, Jesus makes us first. We want to be first without having to make ourselves last. If Jesus is the model, what do we see Jesus do? Before the creation of the world, who is the firstborn, only begotten son of the Father? Who is in prime position? Jesus himself. When Jesus comes to the earth, he comes not as a ruler, but he comes as a servant. He comes and there is no person too yucky for him to touch and wrap his arms around. There is no deep, dark corner of the world or leprosy colony that, that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ does not go into. That's the model of going from being the first to being the last. And Jesus says, oh, here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to do. He's not asking us to do something that he wouldn't do. He's already done it. What are you holding on to? One more thing and then we'll finish. When Jesus asks you to give something over to him, to part with something and let go, it's actually because he loves you. This man had the right question. He came to the right place. He asked the right person and everything was in place for his life to be dramatically transformed. For him to go from being a person that we don't even know the name of to even being one of the 12. All of that potential existed, but a decision needed to be made. Jesus put control back into this person's hand and, and said, if you give me control and if you come after me, if you actually give that over, then something can change. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience with us. Lord, would you please help us to rededicate our lives to you? Would you help us to continually give back to you those things that we try and lay hold of ourselves? Lord, would you help us to give back to you our control, to give back to you our status, to give back to you our desire for respect or autonomy. Lord Jesus, would you help us to bring those things and to place them at your feet to make ourselves last and to desire only you. Lord Jesus, you know how difficult these things are. You know how hard these things are. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be patient with us. 
for those things that we have taken back, Lord, that we have laid our hand to. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your mercy and we ask that you would continue ministering to us. Lord Jesus, we seek not our own kingdom or our own glory, but yours. And in your precious name we pray. Amen.